If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 20, and we will pick up in verse 9. Luke chapter 20 and verse 9. And we're picking back up with our series that we started back, um, actually it was back in 2020 when we started uh, the Gospel of Luke. But we're picking back up in that study. We put it on pause last week because we were focusing on uh, Thanksgiving, and I, I hope that you all had a good Thanksgiving. Um, you remember that Jesus just kind of reorients you because if you're like me, if I don't look at something on a regular basis, like through the week, uh, sometimes I kind of forget where I am. And if it's been a couple weeks, uh, you may be in that same position as me. But in Luke chapter 20, you remember that Jesus has, uh, has entered into his last week of ministry. It's, it's his passion week. He's, get, he's headed to the cross. He's going into the temple. He's already entered to, to Jerusalem in the triumphal entry, what we call Palm Sunday great fanfare. People were singing Hosanna, bless, he, bless is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were waving the palm branches, laying them on the, on the road, putting their coats out on the road and things of that nature. So he entered Jerusalem. They were excited to see what Jesus would do. They saw him as the Messiah that was going to overthrow Rome, that they were going to get rid of the Roman oppressors. But of course, Jesus didn't come to free from, uh, from Rome. He came to free from sin. And so uh, Jesus came into to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and he got very upset. You remember there were people buying and selling and, and all that. He cleansed the temple, ran a bunch of people out, and he began teaching the people in the temple every day. Now, the, the religious leaders, the scribes and Pharisees and so forth, that was their domain. That was their area. And whenever he did this, it, it really torqued them off because um, they, they began to demand, who gave you this authority to do these things? And so Jesus, you remember, he, he posed a question to them and said, I'll answer your question if you'll answer mine. And so he posed a question to him, was John's baptism from God or from men? They refused to answer. He says, well, I won't answer your question either. And so then he tells a parable that we're going to pick up with today. And, um, and, and the, the point of this is not only to, 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 to show his authority, but also, and more specifically, he's telling the, the religious leaders and the people that to reject the Son courts condemnation. It brings about condemnation. So if you have found... Uh, Luke chapter 20, and are able to, I'd like you to stand with me in honor of God's word. We'll pick up in verse 9 and read down to verse 19. It says, And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey for a long time. At the harvest he sent a slave to the vine growers so that they would give him some of the produce of the vineyard. But the vine growers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send another slave, and they beat him and all, beat him also and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send a third, and this one also they wounded and cast out. The owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the vine growers saw him, they reasoned with one another, saying, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy these vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. When they heard it, they said, they said, May it never be. But Jesus looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. The scribes and the chief priests tried to lay hands on him that very hour, and they feared the people, for they understood that he spoke this parable against them. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> the first thing I want you to see in our text is a familiar 
image, a familiar image. Look back at verse, verse 9 and following. You'll notice that, that Jesus turned his attention to the crowds that were surrounding them. Now this is significant because remember up until this point, Jesus is, is having a doubt with the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious teachers. All these religious leaders are confronting Jesus in the temple. But, but this didn't happen in a vacuum. He, 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 he challenged, they challenged him. He turned the question back on them. And, and, and like I said, this, there was a crowd of people surrounding them. And so when he turned his attention to the crowd, that is, that is uh, I mean, that's pretty significant because there are people there who are on Jesus' side, but there are also people that were there on the religious leader's side. And some people just showed up to watch the fireworks. I mean, they, 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 there would have been quite the, quite the milieu of people that were there to see and hear about this Jesus and what he was saying and what he was doing. Now, these religious leaders, they challenged Jesus, and, and when they wouldn't answer his question, it's like, you know, I don't really have anything else to say to you if you're not going to give an honest answer. So he turned his attention to the crowds, and he used this image of a vineyard. Now, he, he tells this parable, and a parable, of course, is an earthly story with a heavenly lesson, a heavenly meaning. And so he tells this parable, and he uses a familiar image. I say it's familiar, but it's not real familiar to us. It would have been familiar to them, but not so much us. Partially because we're so far separated in time and culture, and partially because we don't know the Old Testament as well as we should. Now, a, a couple of times in, in, the, uh, in the Old Testament, especially the prophetic writings, the nation of Israel is likened to a vineyard. And the, the point of that imagery is just as, a vine, uh, just as a farmer would plant a vineyard, would plant a, a field with, with, with grapevines, and then he would tend it, he would care for it, he would give it all the things that, he need, that it needs, it, he, he, would, he would protect it from, from evil and so forth. That's what God did to the nation of Israel. He had, he, he had brought them out of, out of Egyptian, Egyptian bondage, he had provided for them in the wilderness, he had given them bread from heaven, he had, he had provided meat and water in the desert, he had given them military victories, he had done all these things, he had cared for the nation, and just like this, this, this landowner in the, in the story, he expected some fruit out of that. And so, so when, when Jesus starts using this imagery, the people that heard this would have immediately gone to that image in their minds. The second part of this that, that's a little foreign to us is that of, of this landowner business. Now, back then, there were a lot of landowners, but there were a whole lot more tenant farmers. And so what would happen is a landowner is just what the name sounds like. It's somebody who owned land. But they didn't farm all the land themselves. And so what they would do is they would rent it out, essentially, to tenant farmers. And these farmers then would give either, depending on the agreement they had, they would either give a portion of the, the harvest to the landowner, or they would give a set amount to the landowner. And so that's, that's what's behind this imagery here of this landowner who sends a servant to get the produce. So with all that in mind... Let's look again at the parable and work our way through it bit by bit. So he begins to tell this parable, this, this man planted a vineyard. So in this case, the, the, the man, the landowner, stands for God. The landowner, or the, the vineyard, stands for Israel. And I, I want you to see that the next thing here is increasing hostility. Increasing hostility. So he plants this vineyard. Rinse it out to vine growers. So who are going to be the vine growers? Who are going to be the people who, who are tending the, the nation of Israel? Who are going to be the, 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 the people who are tending the vineyard? Well, these vine growers are the, the religious leaders. 
And you see that in verse 19. The religious leaders know, they understand Jesus is talking to them. He's talking about them. He's saying, you guys are the ones in this story. So, the landowner goes away. And it comes time for the harvest. And he says, I'm going to get some produce. I'm going to get some, some, some return on my investment. And so he sends a slave, he sends a servant to get some of this harvest. Likewise, God cared for Israel year after year, day by day. He cared for them, gave them everything they needed, and he expected some fruit to be born from, from the nation. Now, what kind of fruit? Well, certainly not grapes and, and figs, but spiritual fruit. The, the Bible talks about fruits uh, in, in, in keeping with repentance. And you remember this is the same idea, the, the same imagery from Luke 13. You remember in Luke 13, Jesus tells, about a, uh, tells a story about a man who has a vineyard. And in that vineyard, there's a fig tree. And he comes to the fig tree seeking fruit. You remember and it hadn't borne fruit. And the, the, the guy who's tending the, the vineyard said, well, he says, just cut it down. He says, no, let's dig around it, put some manure around it, and fertilize it. And if it doesn't bear fruit, then let's cut it down. This is also the same imagery that Jesus uses. There, there's a time uh, towards the end of his life, he's walking along and sees a fruit tree, a fig tree, that looks like it's in bloom. And so he goes to it, but even though it looks good on the outside, it's actually fruitless. There are no figs there. You remember Jesus curses the fig tree. He says, you'll never bear fruit again. You remember that? That is a picture of national Israel. It, on, on the outside, they had all these forms that looked good. It, it looked like they were bearing fruit, but when you examined it closely, there was no fruit there. It was all just form. It was all just a, a big facade. And so, so the, that, that's the imagery that we get here. This, this, uh, this vineyard, he, go, he, he goes to send a, a slave to get some of this harvest. And who are these, who are these servants? Who are these, who are these slaves? What's well, the prophet's? He sends prophet after prophet to the nation to get some fruit, to get some to 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 reap a harvest, to have some investment, some return on his investment. Now, obviously, God didn't send just three prophets to them. Okay, he he. This is just kind of a, a short story to illustrate what he's teaching, and so he sends a prophet to the nation, but instead of being welcomed, instead of uh, bearing fruit, instead of having some uh, some some produce to give back. The nation of Israel beat and killed the prophets. Now, when we think about the prophets, we think of them as foretelling the future, right? We, we think of some mystic thing where they'd always be telling the future, and they did sometimes do that. But their primary role was not to foretell, but rather to foretell. Their primary role was to call people back to God, to, to, to proclaim the word of God and say, this is, this is God's word, this is his standard. You have found, you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting, and call them back to repentance. To call them back to, to God's way of living. But as you look at the nation of Israel and their history, their history was not one that was characterized by national repentance that happened a lot of times. Instead, there were, there were times of spiritual awakening. But over and over again, the people turned from God. They rejected God. They, they abandoned God. They, they worshipped idols. They did all these different things. And, and, and when the prophets would come and call them to account, they would abuse them. They would kill them. They would stone them. Um, the prophet Isaiah was traditionally uh, believed to be sawn in two. I mean, they were, it, it was a dangerous thing to be a prophet in Israel. And, and Jesus uses that as an image. And he says, 
God, the, 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 the landowner sends a servant to the vine growers. And he wants some harvest. He wants some fruit to be born. And notice what they do to him. And, and, and notice the escalation of what they do. Now look at verse 10. The first one, they, uh, they, they beat him and sent him away empty-handed. They send another slave. And they beat him, but notice they escalate, and they also treat him shamefully, and they send him away empty-handed. And notice, notice then he, he goes on to send a third, verse 12. And this one, they, they wound and they cast out. Now this word wound is different from the word beat. To beat means to, to, to thrash. It means to, 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 actually means to flay. But to wound has the idea of traumatizing. They traumatized this slave and they, they sent him away. They cast him out. They rejected him. And each, each time they, the, the, the servant comes from the master, they treat him more severely. There's an increase in hostility. There's an increase in boldness. And at any point, the landowner is, was within his rights to drop the hammer on these guys. After the first time, he was within his rights to drop the hammer on these guys. Because they owed it to him to give this produce to the landowner. But you notice he keeps in, there's this, there's this graciousness as he sends time after time, chance after chance, another time, another chance that they can respond appropriately to the landowner. Look at verse 13. Finally, he decides to send his beloved son. His beloved son. Now that terminology again is significant. That's the same terminology we find in Luke chapter uh, chapter three, in verse twenty-two at Jesus' baptism, where God the Father speaks to the to, to the Son and He says, "You are my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased." So He sends the Son. Jesus comes to the nation. He comes to the he comes to the Israelites. And instead of recognizing Him for who He is and responding appropriately, what do they do? Verse 14, they reason together with themselves and they decide to murder the son. Now we can't push the particulars too far of the story, but I do think that this highlights a couple different things. Number one, it shows us that the, the settled rejection of the religious leaders. In keeping in the tradition of their forefathers, they were rejecting God's messenger to them. In keeping in, in their tradition, that they were going to kill God's man. That they had no reason for it other than they hated the message and the messenger. But second, it shows that, that, that Jesus knew that they were planning on killing him. This was not a, this was not a surprise. The, the cross was not uh, the blunder of history. This was not an accident. This was not something that, that, that took God off guard. It was part of the foreordained plan of God that he would send Jesus, who would die on the cross, to provide salvation for sinners. Now, did Jesus know this? Yes. How? The same way he knows all things. Because he's God in the flesh. He knows what's in man's heart. He wasn't eavesdropping on them. He knew what was in their hearts. And third, it shows us that the religious, religious leaders knew who Jesus was. They recognized the Son. They said, here's the heir. Now, this was, it was not that they were confused about who he was. They recognized the Son throughout his whole life. Now, we're coming up on Christmas time. No doubt we'll hear about the wise men, the Magi, coming to Herod. And what happened at, at, at Jerusalem then? The Magi came to Herod said, Where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? And they said, Well, I don't know. 
So they bring in the, the religious leaders, and what do they say? They quote the scriptures out of Micah that tells where the Messiah is going to be born. But you'll notice none of them go to see him. They recognize who Jesus is from the moment of his birth. They, they're, they're there whenever he's doing all these miracles. They're there when he's doing all these teachings. They're, they're there when, they're doing, when he's doing all these things. They know who he is, but yet they refuse to accept him. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus. And here's what he said in John chapter 3, verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. If you have your Bible open still in Luke chapter 20, look down at verse 21. The religious leaders are talking. It says, they question him saying, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach correctly, and you're not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. They're not mistaken about who Jesus is. They know who he is. Their problem is they hate him because they love their darkness rather than light. They refuse him. They reject him because of the evil that's within them. They're hardened in their sin. And so they reject and they kill him. And finally, I want you to see that rejection courts or brings about judgment. Rejection brings judgment. So, verse 15, they threw him out. They kill him. And Jesus asked, what then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy these vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. Now, what should have happened way back at the beginning? What he says is going to happen in that text right there. That the, that, the, that the landowner would come and destroy the vine growers. But he had given them chance after chance. He had graciously extended the offer. But now there's a point of no return when finally he says, you know what, enough is enough. I will destroy these vine growers. I will give the kingdom. I'll give the vineyard to others. Now the justification for his actions is as plain as the nose on your face. But notice the people's response. Verse 16, when they heard it, instead of saying, yeah, that's that's the right thing to do, the people said, may it never be. They didn't they understood what Jesus was saying, but they rejected that idea. They didn't like the message of judgment. They didn't like the prospect of the kingdom being given to others. In other words, the gospel going out to the Gentiles. And so it is today, people may read the scriptures, they see God's requirement of them, they'll hear sermons which call them to account for their sin, which makes much of the glory of God and the holiness of God, and yet they reject the idea of judgment. They say, well, that's that message is just too harsh. Well, I, I, can't, I can't go along with that because that just seems so mean-spirited. It's not loving enough. It's, it's too judgmental. It's too whatever you want to fill in the blank with. But the fact of the matter is, it's the truth. You cannot reject God. You cannot reject the gospel message. You cannot reject the Son and remain unpunished. Your sin is going to be judged, whether in this life in the person of Christ, as you've put your faith in Him and, and your sin is transferred to Him, or it's going to be paid for you by it's going to be paid for by you in hell for all eternity. You cannot reject, you cannot reject the Son and remain unpunished. Now Jesus in verse 17 quotes a psalm. And again, I've I mentioned this in the past, but if you'll notice it, it may be in all caps or something like that, to show that he is he is referencing an Old Testament text. Now this is part of a what's called a 
Hallel song. Now, these are the songs of ascent. If you read in the, the book of Psalms towards the end, there are some that say the songs of ascent. These are, the, these are songs that the Jews would sing as they would ascend up to Jerusalem going to Passover. And one of the songs that they would sing, that they sang this week, as Jesus, that Jesus was doing all this, says, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that what I'm telling you is not new. It's been, it's, it, it, was, it was back in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms. In fact, you yourselves even sang it. On the way here, you sang this song. You mouth these words. Now, what is this chief cornerstone that he's talking about? Well, the picture here is of a, of a stonemason. As he's building a, a structure, he gets a, he gets a stone and he looks at it, he inspects it, and he rejects it. He says, this is worthless. I, I don't have any use for it. And it's, it's the stone which the builders rejected. That very stone, the Bible says, has become the chief cornerstone. In this context, a cornerstone, what they would do when they would lay out their building and lay the, lay the foundations, they would take a, 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 a stone and set it at the corner of two walls. And it, there would be one specific stone they would put, and that would be the chief cornerstone. And that stone, everything was built in relation to that stone. So the way the foundation was, its, its dimensions, its size, all that was based on this cornerstone. And that foundation, of course, supported the whole structure. And the Bible says that Jesus is that chief cornerstone. He is the foundation. He is the bedrock of our faith. The Bible says that the, the, the Christian faith, the, the Christian uh, religion, if you will, is built on the foundation of the, the apostles and the prophets, with Jesus being the chief cornerstone. Jesus tells us we must make a choice about this stone. Don't think that you can just reject the stone and go away unscathed. What does he say? Verse 17, or sorry, verse 18. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. It's kind of like the law of gravity. You don't break the law of gravity. You're broken on the law of gravity. You say, well, I, I don't... I don't think that's the truth. Well, you'd go walking off the Empire State Building off the top of it, and you'd have whatever thought you want about gravity, and the end, gravity's going to win. You will be broken on the law of gravity. Likewise, you can have whatever thought you want about Jesus. You can think he's a, 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 the Messiah. You can think he's a madman. In the end, he's going to win either way. You'll, you'll either accept him, you'll bow the knee uh, as, as Savior, or you'll bow the knee to him as Sovereign. But one day, you'll bow the knee. And, and Jesus is calling each of us today to, to make a choice about this stone which the builders rejected. At one point in the Gospels, he tells a story about a wise and a foolish builder. He says there's one man who builds his house on the rock. And there's another man, a foolish man, who builds his house on the sand. And when the storms of life come, it's only the one who's built his house on the rock, on Jesus Christ and his teachings, that's the house that's going to stand. Every other foundation is sinking sand. And I just ask you today, as a Christian, what's your house built upon? What are you, what are you focused on? What, do you, what is your foundation in life? Are you building your life on the solid rock of Jesus Christ? Look at verse 19. The, the scribes, the chief priests, they knew that he was talking about them. And they tried to lay hands on him to kill him just as he said they were going to do in the parable. Do you get that? I mean, he says, 
the, the, these, these vine growers, they're going to, they reject the son, they kill the son, and it brings about judgment. And they say, you know what, that makes us so mad, let's kill him. It's like, dude, that's what you just said you're going to do. It's like, I, I've, I've, well, I'm not going to go down that one, that one. Never mind. Okay, but anyway, he had just talked about in the parable that they were going to do that, and then they, did, then they are f- trying to fulfill it. But they couldn't do it because of the people. Now, none of us here is a religious leader in Judaism. But you know what? We are in the same boat in the sense that to reject the, the Son brings about judgment. It doesn't matter if it's 1st century or 21st century. The fact of the matter is the same. God's calling each of us today through His Word, through His Spirit. He is calling us to bow the knee to Jesus Christ. He's calling us to turn from sin. He's calling us to, 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 to come to Him in faith and to reject the message of the Gospel will bring about judgment. Instead, we need to embrace Him, trust Him, put our faith in Him. If you've never done that, I I implore you with the strongest terms possible to do that. Do it today. You want to stand with me as a musician comes? And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just ask first, have you rejected the Son? Or have you bowed your knee to the Son? Have you repented of your sin? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Christian, are you building your house upon the rock of Jesus Christ and his teaching? Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would let each of us make wise choices in relation to this stone which the builders rejected. Help us not be like the religious leaders who had every opportunity to trust Christ, who had every reason to trust Christ, but instead rejected Him. Lord, help us not be like that. God, I pray that You'd help us to live each day, even as as Christians, let us live each day trusting in Him, having a faith that goes back to Him over and over, not for uh, salvation many times, but to sustain us, to, to bear our burdens for wisdom. Lord, help us as, as believers to build our lives on the foundation of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.